0: Please welcome our speaker, Aaron. Good morning, everyone. My name is Erin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi, Hi, everyone. Thank you for spending your Thanksgiving with me today. This is this is beautiful to be in fellowship, to be with people who who understand, um, who really who really get it. Um, to qualify, I was. I was pretty much born a compulsive overeater. Uh, My earliest memories of food is that they clearly, it just was never enough. And I've heard people talk about Thanksgiving being amateur day for most eaters, and that completely resonates with me. Like, oh honey, you have seen nothing. Um, What's kind of scary for me is it represents, I think in our collective conscious, a lot of rules about culture and family and where we're from. And I know that I'm not alone in this. I've heard it in the rooms that some of us, the, the story can be painful. Um, it's a, a disease that doesn't have to, but can span generations. And, and that's rolled into the mashed potatoes and the pumpkin pie of today. And I'm glad that I can be with my recovered family and when we have that quiet pause for the people that still suffer in and out of the rooms, I take that moment and I think about my family that are here and those who have succumbed to the disease and and I hold that moment of silence for them. And we are doing together what we could never do alone. I'd like to read some pieces from our literature. I don't know really how I'm going to put it all together, but hopefully the universe will will work through me. Um, but I was thinking about it this morning that I could have read this. I maybe could have listened to a podcast before in my dieting days, and maybe had a good day of dieting, but it wouldn't be recovery. I need I need for my recovery love and fellowship. It won't happen unless I have, and I get that from family and friends, but it's a special kind of love in the rooms. It's people who understand, who have walked this road, who get that a cookie isn't just a cookie, it's the next six months of my life and, and that's that's a a weight off my shoulders and shame that's just been washed away. Um, So I I sincerely thank the people who have taken away from their family and their friends and their loved ones to be here with your family in recovery and for folks out there who are supporting their family in recovery who have come out to us today. Um, I've been in program, this is my second Thanksgiving. so I'm new and I'm hearing a lot of things for the first time and they sound magic and wonderful and glorious, but this has been around for a long time. And I was researching this morning about Thanksgiving and I found published in a Grapevine Magazine, which is our lifeline for AA, a reprinting from 1949. Uh, Bill W. wrote a little blurb for Thanksgiving. Uh, a special note from Bill W. to remember our 12 traditions on the holidays. The idea is in the air that AA might adopt Thanksgiving week as a time for meetings and meditation on the tradition of Alcoholics Anonymous. The friend who hatched this notion tells you on another page why he thinks the idea good. I heartily agree with what he says and hope you will too. Pre-AA, we Alkies could sometimes achieve that dubious state called sobriety period how bleak and empty this alleged virtue is. Only God or a dried up drunk can fully testify. The reason? Of course, every AA knows it. Nothing has taken the place of the victim's grog. He's still a man of conflict and disunity. Comes then the 12 steps of recovery, bringing to him a personality change. The shattered prospect feels reassembled. He now says he seems all one piece. We understand exactly what he means, for he describes the state of being at oneness. He is talking about personal unity. We know he must work to maintain it and that he can't stay alive without it. I sometimes get angry when we have to read the traditions at meetings because it's not steps and I'm not utilizing my time and like making things move forward until I settle it and listen to the traditions and they're really quite good. <laughs> and um, being on Thanksgiving, thinking about unity, and here specifically that oneness, but again, um, that oneness for me can't happen without the wholeness of this fellowship, in this group, but what I take in the world when I practice those principles and I have unity within myself, I'm not gonna lie, man. It's like five minute increments right now, maybe ten minute increments, and then I gotta go back and think about like, oh, okay, um, how do I let go? How do I not do to get back to that state? And and they come up and more frequently, more frequently, um, but it is it is work but it's really being alive truly to be present when we leave the rooms today wherever we're going to have a conversation and focus on a person's face and not what they're eating and not what they're wearing or what we're wearing or how our pants fit i mean the the bandwidth that goes to that when it oh it just takes a lot of energy and a lot of time. So I think, okay, it's a lot of work. But what would I be working at if I wasn't doing this work? And I can tell you, it is non-stop for me. And it's exhausting. So it's easy for me to be like, well, maybe, maybe it's just a, there's an easier way. Or maybe I'm all better. And, and then I, I like to look at this book it's called Living Sober. I think it was published in the 70s. It's an AA book. And you got to take it with a grain of salt because sometimes they're like, oh, don't drink, have a candy. I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's terrible <laughs> advice. That's not going to work for me. But, but some of them are really good advice. And, and the one that I was putting through this morning when I was thinking about it was number 20, and it's remembering your last drunk. And I'd like to read parts of it because I think it's awesome. Yeah, that's not a typographical era. The word is drunk, not drink, as you'll see. A drink is a term which has awakened pleasurable echoes and anticipations of millions of people for centuries. Depending on our age and our circumstance, which surrounded our first experience with alcohol, we all have various memories and hopes, sometimes anxieties, aroused by the thought of a cool beer, a bullshot, a gin and tonic, a boil maker, a sip of wine, or whatever. Here we can easily insert all of our favorite lovely holiday meals or treats, quote unquote treats. Uh, repeatedly in the early drinking of most people, the anticipations were fully met by the desired drink, and if that happened often enough, we naturally learned to think of a drink as a satisfying event, whether it gratified our need to conform to a religious custom, quenched our thirst, graced a social occasion, relaxed us, stimulated us, or gave us other kind of satisfaction we thought. And then he goes on to explain other particular individuals' experience with the warmth on a cold day of youth, glamorous surroundings, a new lover, new clothes, um, almost taste the next thing that comes when they have this particular thing. Although perfectly natural, such mental images are now, for us, misleading. Those were the ways some of us began to drink, and if that had been the whole truth of our drinking history, it is unlikely that we could have developed much of a drinking problem. A searching, fearless look at our complete drinking record, however, shows that in the last years and months, our drinking never created those perfect magic moments again, no matter how often we tried for them. Instead, over and over, we wound up drinking more than that and landed in some kind of trouble as a result. Maybe it was simply inner discontent, a sneaky feeling that we were drinking too much sometimes it was marital squabbles, job problems, serious illness or accidents or legal or financial worries. Therefore when the suggestion of a drink comes to us we now try to remember the whole train of consequences of starting with just a drink. We think the drink all the way through down to our last miserable drunk and hangover. A friend who offers us a drink usually means that one sociable glass or two. But if we are careful to recall the full suffering of our last drinking episode, we are not deceived by our long ago notion of a drink. The blunt psychological truth for us as of today is that a drink pretty surely means a drunk sooner or later and that spells trouble. Drinking for us, no longer means music and gay laughter and flirtations. It means sickness and sorrow. One AA member put it this way, I know now that stopping in for a drink will never again be for me simply killing a few minutes and leaving a buck on the bar in exchange for that drink. What I would plunk down now is my bank account, my family, our home, our car, my job, my sanity, and probably my life. It's too big a price, too big a risk. He remembers his last drunk, not his first drink. And for some of us, we're gonna be going to beautifully laid out tables, and the perfect china, and the white linen, and the, oh, I love the aesthetics. Oh, the holidays, it's gorgeous. And I can enjoy that, I can enjoy the table and I can enjoy my one abstinent plate of hot, nourishing food. And no, I am not depriving myself. I have these lovely, soft, plush bumper guards on either side of me so that I don't go to the table and have what I think is that first bite, which really will be the last binge of before, which was six months of my life, and it was pretty nasty. Um, it's a disease of amnesia, though, and culturally, we have such reverence for food. We put it in beautiful serving, and it has conscious. It's Norman Rockwell, America, beautiful, and... And to me, unfortunately, I didn't get dealt that hand in the cards I was dealt in life. That's not what it looks like for me. And, and that's not what it looks like for us. And that's okay, because we have these beautiful promises. We do, and they happen. And then we can be there for our family, and we can sit at the table might see some of their dysfunction through a new lens, which is, you know, is what it is. Um, But the beauty in our program is we learn how not to interfere with other people's progress, and we can take that with our family. We don't interfere with their progress, and we let people have, we don't take opinions. I mean, again, the traditions are beautiful, right? I have no outside opinions on what my crazy friends or family should really do with their lives if I follow the traditions. What a gift, what a gift. I can just show up and see what's there that I can relate to as loving and kind and appreciate that, absolutely, clearly. It's really lovely, truly. And when I get confused, I can just go to my crumpled up little commitment to abstinence pamphlet and it tells me what to do. And I go, I'm cultivating humble gratitude for having discovered I have an eating disorder. Uh, okay. <laughs> and that we, we found OA when we did. Uh, and, that's, and that's what I do. And I accept as natural that for a period of time, and it can be a long one, I'm going to have cravings. Because I'm a compulsive eater. I go to every meeting, and, and what do I say? My name is Aaron, and I'm a compulsive overeater. I don't say, I'm Erin, I'm all set. I don't say, I'm Erin, I'm fine. I say, I'm Aaron and I'm a compulsive overeater, because that's, that's who I am. That doesn't change. And that's, that's humility, is to accept the reality that is. That's my definition of humility, is to accept the reality that is not Aaron's reality. And... And sometimes that can be more challenging to swallow than other days. Um, But that's why fellowship is so beautiful. Because we can share and end this path together and the good and the bad. Because what's the alternative? So I was looking for gratitude quotes in For Today. I love this daily reader. I read it every morning, the For Today for Today. And I meditate for 10 minutes, which is hard. It's hard to turn off the chatter. But then I can listen to what might be the next right action. And then I follow up with another reading. And then I go out on my day. And this one is from June. They're all great. I mean, you could randomly pick any one, and it would be amazing. Unhappy is the man, though he rule the world, who doesn't consider himself supremely blessed. Seneca. The fact that I am here at all is a blessing. Would I have chosen not to be born? That is the alternative. The fact that I no longer have to compulsively overeat is a supreme blessing. Indeed. Continuing the way I was going, I might not still be around today. That makes each day a gift. The habit of complaining, of wishing things were different, is nothing more than a way of ensuring depression and misery. As I expose this and other destructive habits to the 12-step program, asking God to remove them, I can allow myself to be happy. I am coming to realize that it is not life that owes me something. It is I who owe something to to life. For today, to accept myself is to enjoy my life and to feel (laughs) supremely blessed. This Thanksgiving I feel so supremely blessed to say my name is Aaron and I am a compulsive overeater and a room full of my fellowship, my family, and to feel love. Not conditional love, not neurotic love, <laughs> but imperfect love. Showing up humble love. And I hope that I can take all of this kindness and energy, and I can go out in that crazy, wild world of ours and share that and have that be what I bring to life instead of pissed that I can't eat pecan pie. (laughs) And if I can live five minutes of my day with that feeling, I have lived a good day. What's gonna happen from that seed? I don't know, but the beauty is it's not up to me. I don't run the show, I'm not the director, I'm not playing in the screen, right? I, it's fine. But I am responsible for my footwork. I can make the choice to open my heart and to let gratitude in and out. And I want to wish everyone. A beautiful, loving day of thanks. Thank you, guys.